So I look at the gray area as this beautiful place, which is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for someone to go, yeah, where in my life do I feel like I'm stuck in this gray area, whether it is my marriage, whether it is my relationship with alcohol, maybe it's my relationship with my kids, maybe it is my career, maybe I don't even know what I believe in anymore, maybe I don't have a faith, maybe I did at one point, but I don't anymore, and that doesn't feel good. Maybe I don't like where I'm living, and there's so much stress with I live in this apartment complex and all this noise. Whatever's going on for you, take that as a clue and as an indicator that it's time for you to look inward and look at it as an opportunity for you to be able to grow and expand into the person that you truly were designed to be. Are you ready to break free from your old habits and create a better life for yourself and those around you? If so, welcome to Unshakable Habits, the podcast dedicated to helping men be better husbands, fathers, and leaders by prioritizing their physical and mental well-being. Each week, we'll look at health from a 360-degree perspective with inspiring stories and practical strategies for building unshakable habits that'll transform your life. Join Stephen Box, a board-certified health and wellness coach, and let's change the world together, one habit at a time. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Unshakable Habits podcast. I am your host, Stephen Box. And today we are going to be talking about the gray areas of life. If you are someone who finds yourself in environments where temptation is all around you and you feel like it's difficult sometimes to avoid that temptation, maybe other times you do great with it but you, you would like to be more consistent with you know not falling into some of those temptations this is going to be a great episode for you um, and even outside of those situations maybe you're just at a point in your life where things aren't really bad but they're also not great and you're not really sure on which direction you want to go uh, so my guest today is an expert in this area uh, or as, as she calls them these gray areas in life uh, so i'm looking forward to that conversation so with that allow me to introduce you to my guest today carrie swear uh, the founder of gray tonic thank you stephen i'm so glad to be here with you and your listeners today yeah. So, you know, you and I talked a little bit, uh, I do these pre-interviews for, for everybody and we talked about your company really kind of started with, you know, alcohol is, is the primary focus. And I think that really ties into your personal story, which we'll kind of dive into in a little bit, but I also love the fact that you have this recognition that the things that you're talking about don't just apply to alcohol, right? They apply to other areas in your life. And that's something I teach people all the time is that the principles that we learn, they can be applied universally. The skill sets for each individual thing might be a little, a little bit different, but the principles are the same for every area of, of your life that you want to improve. You're right. I started this coaching practice really centered around gray area drinking, which is a significant gray area for a lot of people who do choose to drink alcohol about 50% maybe in this gray area. So it's a wide spectrum of drinkers. But what I found was 
there's other gray areas that we do have in our life where we start to self-examine like, why don't I feel great about my life? Why am I not happy when I quote unquote should be, you know, I, I have the success, I have the job, I have the income that I've always dreamt of having. I have the spouse and partner that I've wanted. I have the kids. So why am I not happy? What is this feeling that I have inside in this hole that I'm trying to fill? And that's what leads to more gray areas in our life. And once we get down one path of a gray area, it can really influence other areas. And then it snowballs. And that's really what my message is, is how do we stop moving too far into the deeper shades of gray in all areas in our life, whether that is with drinking alcohol, or it could be with, you know, you're married and your spouse now has become a roommate at best, and your kids are starting to drift away and your career is stalling, or you're just not you know, fulfilled with it. And you're asking, you know, time's ticking. What's next for me? Yeah. And I think so often people try to fix one single area in their life. And, you know, I, I teach this concept of connected health, which looks at not just your physical health, but also your mental, your emotional, your relationships, your environment, and even your, you know, connection to something bigger, or some people might call that their spiritual health. And, it's this idea that like what you just said, that by improving one area, you impact other areas, but we can't just only focus on just one area because then we're left to wonder, well, why am I still stuck in these other areas, right? Yes, yes. So most people are familiar with a life wheel or heard of the concept of life wheel where we're looking at different areas in our life where we're feeling the most fulfilled and the least fulfilled. We're trying to understand, you know, where's that balance and the whole work life balance and having balance is a joke in my opinion. We're never going to be completely even on all these areas in our life, whether it's with relationships or it's with family or it's with the purpose that you have for your life or your career or spirituality or how you feel about contribution. Like we have all these areas and it's really hard to be at a hundred percent all the way across the board. So when we feel depleted, it is good to take inventory. Like, where am I feeling that? You know, right now I can share personally that in the social aspect, I'm feeling a little depleted on that arena. So it's, it's an area that I'm going, okay, I see that my social life isn't where I'd like it to be. And it is causing me to feel depleted in this area. So what are the steps that I can do to be proactive so I can start to change that and, and contribute in those areas? Oh, I don't know. Maybe call a friend and make a plan and schedule something, you know? So we, we have some avenues that we can take, but far too often, I think what we find is a lot of people aren't actually looking inward to ask those questions, you know, really getting curious about why do I feel this way? You know, what is truly going on inside? And that's the crux of the work that I do with my clients is to help them see where are those areas they can feel that way, that they are feeling that way. And what can we do to start filling in the gaps? And most often I'll give the, I'll give it away right now is that it starts within. It's yeah. what is missing for you. You know, what is that hole that you're trying to fill? Yeah. I think, you know, when you kind of look at it, you know, like I mentioned, this idea of connected health and three of those areas you just kind of mentioned, right? The the mental, which is like your thoughts, your beliefs, yeah. your emotional, your reaction to those thoughts and beliefs, and then relationships. So maybe something even as simple as you think, oh, I'll call a friend up. Now all of a sudden we start getting in our heads, right? Where it's like, oh man, you know, 
I'm really busy. Oh, they're probably busy. Oh, I haven't talked to them in so long. It's going to be awkward, right? We start telling ourselves all these things mentally, and then we have an emotional reaction to those thoughts. I think that's at least part of why people continue to live in these gray areas. Yes. And you know, you brought something up timing wise. I just recently did a reel in a, in a blog post about being okay with not being okay, because everything that we do behaviorally is stemming from how we feel. Our feelings is what drives our actions. And we've not been taught how to sit with our feelings and we want to act upon them. Nobody wants to not feel good. We're trying to escape it. We're trying to find a way out of it. Yep. But yet it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to honor those feelings that we do have and to recognize them and to label them. I think once we take like this big shining light on our feelings, we take the stigma away. We take the fear away of, you know, why am I feeling this way? I shouldn't feel this way. You know, there's got to be a way out of it. Instead, we have to be okay with going, all right, what are the thoughts being associated with this feeling? And what do I do with those thoughts? Because you're right. We tell ourselves stories. We create a story in our mind that 99.99% of the time is just a made up story that we're telling ourselves because our brain is doesn't like open loops. We're trying to find a way to reconcile this unknown and trying to figure out what, why we're feeling this way. So we, we do, we create these stories. Like you mentioned about a friend calling up, you've already created like, oh, they're probably busy or they don't want to be with me or, you know, I'll just hang out at home. Like we tell ourselves all these crazy things that aren't true. So part of the the process to work through that is a acknowledge what you are feeling, being okay with not being okay, being willing to sit through it, understanding, yeah. labeling it, looking at the feelings, asking yourself the questions, why do I feel this way? What I'm thinking about this true, is it really true or could there be something else that is true, which is always the answer is yes on that. By the way, there's always something else that could be true not what we believe. And right. so we have to realize that that's actually stemming from a, a belief about ourselves, about what we believe for us. And that can really cause some stress for us when we, when we really look at that. But that lies the answer because we all have a story. We all have a self-identity and that identity that we believe about who we are is driving those feelings ultimately, which drives the actions, which creates the behaviors and the habits that we're trying to shake. <laughs> yeah. so. it's, it's, it's a crazy loop to get caught in, right? And, yeah. And I think one thing that people maybe don't stop to think about a different perspective on emotions, especially a lot of guys, because as, as men, we're taught to not have emotions, right? We're taught that right. emotions are, are bad, that that's a, that that's a, a feminine trait. Mm -hmm. And so I think as a result, a lot of men avoid their emotions and our emotions really a lot of times are our body's way of communicating what needs yes. to change. Yes. Listen to your emotions, you don't know what to change. Yes. Thank you for saying that. That's so true. Our feel, it's, it's like pain. When we feel pain in our body, it's because we need to pay attention to why that pain is there. You know, the word disease, you know, dis-ease, we have pain because there's dis ease. And yeah. so the same thing with an emotion that comes up for us, what we would consider a negative or bad emotion. By the way, there's no bad emotions. We're all human. We, we are to experience these emotions, but we put a label and a meaning on them. And 
like you said, men particularly, and I work with a lot of men, so I know this to be true, is that we have a hard time, they have a hard time separating, you know, what is considered acceptable in this moment for me to feel this way? And am I able to be vulnerable and still feel like I'm the man? And there's this question of like, where do I go from here? And so we, they tend, we meaning me too and everyone, we tend to stuff those feelings because we don't want to express them because we're afraid of expressing them that we're going to be looked upon differently. And, and again, that, that creates more pressure and stress on us. And it actually starts to pack our nervous system to a point where eventually we're going to explode. We're going to expel that in some way, shape or form. And a lot of times it is in our health. We find out like, you know, we have a heart condition or we have anxiety that's causing you not to sleep or it's causing weight gain because the cortisol is overproduced and you can't get rid of the cortisol in your body. So that shows up in other areas that we can't even imagine. Yeah. And it's just, it's so amazing that when we start to ignore these things we, and we start to focus on what we think with our logical brains needs to be fixed, right? We get ourselves in trouble, right? And I think this might be a good time to maybe kind of revisit your story because I, I have a, a gut feeling here. Uh, we didn't talk about this, but I'm, I'm taking a, a leap of faith here. Hopefully your, uh, your story ties in that you probably, when you started feeling like there was something that needed to be changed in your life, you probably took a logical approach at first, I'm assuming, because that's what most of us do. And I, I would love to kind of just hear your story yeah. about like where where did this kind of start for you? When did you start realizing something needed to change? And like ultimately, like what didn't work? And then what how did you figure out what would work? Well, what what didn't work was me trying the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. We all we all know that that's the definition of insanity. I mean, I, I you know I think we're allowed. I believe this a whole hundred percent. We are allowed to go around the same mountain as many times as we need to to learn, and it's not until we actually are willing to go through it or over top of it not just around it over and over again, because we can circle it again, as many times as we need to in order to get that lesson. So for me personally, with my relationship with alcohol, it was one of those where I knew it was an unhealthy relationship. I knew there was something that needed to be done, a decision that needed to be made, but I was in this gray area. So it wasn't that bad. I mean, nothing ever happened. My marriage wasn't on the line. I showed up to work every day. I was an amazing uh, at my job. So there was no issues anywhere. Yeah. The issue for me became how it started really enforcing this deep feeling of, I don't love myself. I don't fully accept who I am as a human being. And that was something that was being clouded over with the drinking. The drinking was part of the fueling for that feeling, but it wasn't until I got really crystal clear on what that was. So yeah, quitting drinking, you know, I went the traditional route of going to AA, wasn't a good fit for me. It's a great program for a lot of people, millions of people, wasn't a good fit for me. So it wasn't until after I left the program, I worked with a coach and he helped me start to unpack a lot of these truths about myself and some of these thoughts I was having and the beliefs that I was having, those limiting beliefs. And, you know, we throw around that word so often now, limiting beliefs, you know, but it truly is, it's, it's almost detrimental beliefs, in my opinion. They really hold us back. 
And it wasn't until, you know, again, I started working with this coach and unpacking that and become very crystal clear on what that looked like for me. And, you know, I, I use this analogy a lot and I've already said it once. It's sort of like taking out this big, bright light and shining it on myself, my yeah. thoughts, my feelings, my behaviors, the way that I show up for not just me, but my family, my um, work, my you know friends as a daughter, right? All these things. How am I showing up? And I wasn't happy with that person. Yeah. So it was buckling in. It was investing into myself. There's a difference between self-investment and self-care. Self-care, we're like, oh, you know, go take a bath, go for a walk, get a manicure. No, self-investment is saying, you know what? I believe enough in me and I'm willing and ready to love myself enough where I'm going to put some skin in the game and I'm going to figure this out. Because I don't want to strap in for another 30, 40, or however old you are, years to get to this place where I can finally be happy one day. That one day is now. You just get to decide. Yeah. Yeah. I love the fact that you kind of hit on it. You didn't directly say it, but you kind of hit on what we touched on earlier, which is you didn't have the usual signs that people might think about when it comes to alcohol about why they need to make a change right it wasn't your marriage falling apart it wasn't you performing poorly at work it wasn't you know those kind of big gigantic warning signs it was that emotion it was that feeling that something inside you was saying you're using this as a coping mechanism and you need to stop yeah. And, and at the moment, you didn't think of it as a coping mechanism. It was just, but there was just that, that feeling of, I just need to stop, right? There's something that's not right about this. Yeah, no, I loved wine. Are you kidding me? Wine was my jam. I mean, my whole life surrounded around wine. I started a wine club in my neighborhood. I went my 20th anniversary. I went to Napa Valley in Sonoma just so I could be at all these fabulous wineries. You know, I, I coined myself the wine connoisseur. And I owned that new label because to me, it was about sophistication. It was about elegant and etiquette and all the things, you know, I, I really fit that part. I mean, after all, I'm a professional, don't you know, Stephen? And, you know, wine is a big piece of this. This was a story I was creating for myself that I'm, I'm just like everyone else that has a glass of wine or two, you know, frequently or every night or whatever, like I'm no different from anybody else. So yeah, there were no outward signs outside of me starting to have those internal questions. And that's what I ask people to pay attention to. I'm not against, I'm not on a crusade against alcohol. I could care less if someone drinks or not drinks. What I care about is somebody starting to pay attention to those voices inside of your head. And, and I mean, inside your gut, when I say that, those yeah. in, the inner spirit, that that inner guiding system that we're all capable of listening to we don't always listen to it but we have the capacity to really tune in and listen to it and if we're listening and we're listening carefully if you're having some of those like oh, i think i might be drinking too much or i don't like the way that i feel about this and i i'm not as clear sharp-minded as i once was yeah I wonder what the difference here is. It's those questions that you're saying to yourself internally. That's where the magic happens. That's where you need to start paying attention. And far too often, we're so busy in our own stories that we create. Like, it's normal. This is just what I do. This is part of who I am. 
we tell ourselves these stories over and over again, we actually start believing it. And then we squash that inner voice and that inner guiding system to be quiet. So we don't have to deal with it because that then is going to be a hard thing to overcome. So we tell ourselves, and then we stay on this cycle over and over again. And that's why I call it this gray area. It's not just me, the gray area in itself. We do the same thing over and over again, where this is a cycle. It just continues until we decide one day, like I did with my drinking, I've had enough. Yeah. I've had enough. And and the thing you just touched on, actually several things that we kind of need to go back on, but one of the things that you touched on there was it's not just alcohol that we're talking about here, right? There's, you can apply this to anything. It might be you sit down and you're, you're eating a rather indulgent meal and you have that thought of, do I really need to be eating this? Do Mm -hmm. I need this much food? Right? Like it's, you start thinking about it that way, or maybe it's, you know, I don't feel like I'm being present enough in my marriage, or I don't feel like I'm really engaged enough with my children, right? And there's, there's all these little thoughts that sort of pop into our head, and they're popping into your head for a reason. That's right. That's right. And you know, one great area that I had was and I'm, you know, want to share and, and it's out there and I've shared it before is my marriage. I've been married 34 years, it'll be 34 in just a couple of weeks. But on our 30th year, I went to my husband and I said, I'm no longer happy in this marriage. And I rocked his world. It was devastating. It was devastating for both of us, not just him, but for me as well. And we talked about it. And the reason why was the reason what led me up to that was he was unhappy with his position at work. The things that was required of him at the time, there was, there was a lot of shakeup during that time. And he was, he became very uh, downtrodden, if you will. And he had his head down. So he was not paying attention to anything except for being consumed by his work. So in a sense, he was in a gray area with his work. This is a career he's always been in and then he loves and he loves the company he works for, but he was in a, in this deep, severe gray area in his career. And it was impacting and affecting everything, our marriage and everything else. Well, that was his contribution to it. Plus he wasn't, there was no, there was no energy left for him to give to me. And this is when I was building the business. I was in my first, you know, I was going on my first or going into my second year, but the first full year I was in business and I wanted his support and I wasn't receiving it. So I was feeling rejected. And then there was some other things, you know, we weren't, um, we weren't communicating at all. We weren't, um, being close. If you know what I mean, it was, there was, it was like, we were roommates at best yeah, barely. And so this becomes another serious issue, especially for couples that have been married longer than 10 years, you know, especially the 20 year mark, the 30 year mark. Whoa. Things completely shift at that point because you become different people over a period of time. If you're not growing together, you know, which, which is hard to do. It's work. We got to stay consistent. And we were slowly starting to separate. We're slowly starting to go our own direction. We both contributed to it. It wasn't just one or the other. And I had the nerve to stand up and say, I don't want this for another 30 years. Not this, at least I want you, but not like this. We need to figure this out. And so we buckled in and it was, it was some serious work that we had to do a lot of communicating, 
and uh, we refocus, but I'm really proud to say that we're in a better place now than we've ever been. And it's because we've gone through the hard times. We were able to get through that. It wasn't easy. I'm not saying it was because it wasn't, but I'm so grateful for it. And I think that's the lesson here is that we will be allowed to go through the tough times to help strengthen us, to help strengthen our faith and strengthen who we are as humans. Because if we're not being tested and we're not going through the hard things, we stay idle. So I look at the gray area as this beautiful place, which is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for someone to go, yeah, where in my life do I feel like I'm stuck in this gray area, whether it is my marriage, whether it is my relationship with alcohol, maybe it's my relationship with my kids, maybe it is my career, maybe I don't even know what I believe in anymore, maybe I don't have a faith, maybe I did at one point, but I don't anymore, and that doesn't feel good. Maybe I don't like where I'm living, and there's so much stress with, I live in this apartment complex and all this noise. Whatever's going on for you, take that as a clue and as an indicator that it's time for you to look inward and look at it as an opportunity for you to be able to grow and expand into the person that you truly were designed to be because you get to decide. That's the best part. We get to decide who we want to be, how we show up and what we're going to contribute. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I I remember in college reading this, I don't know if it was like a poem or what it was, but it was called you create it all. Mm. And the general idea here was that no matter what happens externally, we have the full capability of choosing how to respond to it. Oh, yes. And, and that's exactly what, what you were just describing there, right? It's like, we can't stop the person from cutting us off in traffic, yeah. but we can decide how we respond to it. Oh, I got to jump in here. Let me tell you. So something I, something I really spend a lot of time talking about is reacting versus responding. And so when we react, we do so with judgment. Mm -hmm. And I want you to really think about that for a second here. Like if, if someone cuts you off in traffic, since you use that as an example, right away, we're reacting because we're like, what a stupid jerk, right? We are already placing a story. We're doing it with judgment about the other person. We have no idea what is going on with that man or woman. But when we respond, we do so with curiosity. We could respond by, hmm, I wonder what caused him to do that. I wonder if something's wrong. I wonder if he's racing to the hospital right now because he just got bad news. I'm wondering Mm if his boss just let him go or her, you know, let her go. I wonder if, you know, she's in pain of some sort and mentally distraught. We don't know the stories. And when we respond with curiosity, we have so much more compassion and we have understanding and it takes us out of the equation and it puts all the care and the concern onto somebody else. And we could look at things so much differently. And when we do even body language, when we respond, we sort of, you know, we have more of an openness, like our bodies, our, our chest widens. We kind of put our hands out like, I wonder what's happening. Versus stupid jerk, you know, like, and we, we get like this angered feeling and response, um, of, of anger. And so I really like to caution people when you find yourself in those emotional tug of wars, like you want to react is to stop and pause and reflect 
before you do and take that step back and look at the situation and say, how can I best respond here by being curious and asking myself some questions before I jump to the conclusion and place judgment on this other person or the situation or on yourself? Yeah. I even, uh, a technique I teach a lot of the guys I work with, especially in those um, intense reactionary moments, right? Because there, there's a difference, I think, between when you're in a situation where you kind of see something happening and you have that time to sit there and think about it versus like the examples when you're cutting you off in traffic where our reactions tend to be a little bit more instinctual. Yeah. Uh, I teach people to start thinking about it after the fact a little differently so that in the future we can react differently. Right. So one, one thing I do is, and it's very similar to what you were just saying about this idea of kind of thinking about what are the other possibilities mm -hmm. and then, and then saying this to yourself, I'm choosing to allow this person cutting me off to ruin the rest of my day. Mm. I'm going to tell you, if you can honestly sit there and say that out loud to yourself and then still be mad, <laughs> then... Look, I'm laughing because it is. It's like so ridiculous, right? Yeah, we definitely need to yeah. talk if you're still mad after saying that to yourself. Well, because it's humorous. I mean, I think, I think if we're honest with ourselves, when we do get into those tirades, and listen, I'm not perfect. I just had one of these episodes over the weekend where I was so frustrated. I have a, a year-old now not a puppy, I guess, technically, but to me, she's still a puppy. And she was really frustrating me. <laughs> Let's yeah. just say that she wasn't going out and doing her thing. And if she doesn't go outside and do her thing, she's going to do her thing inside the house. So I was getting very frustrated and I started yelling like a banshee outside. And I thought, and I came back in and I was like, Carrie, you're, you know, what the heck was that? Like, what? and I almost started laughing because I thought if my neighbors were out there, they would have been like, what is up with her? Like, she's normally not like that. And yeah. then it didn't make me laugh because I thought, really? It was just trying to get her to go potty in the, in the yard. Like, and I'm out there yelling at her, like, that's not going to do any good. But you know, I, it was early morning. I didn't get a good night's sleep. I was tossing and turning that night. And it's like, you know, you could come up with all the excuses in the world, but these yep. are the facts. And yep. so we all do it. We all tend to, to get frustrated and being frustrated is okay. Like it's yeah. okay to be frustrated. It's okay to have all these emotions. It's just yeah. how we handle ourselves. And then if we can laugh at it, because of course I'm not going to do that again. That was like so silly, but at least I can laugh at myself and go, oh my gosh, like really, <laughs> yeah. you know, but it's all good. We're human. We can, yeah. if we can't laugh at ourselves then we're in big trouble. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think it happens to all of us at some point, right? I mean, I can mm -hmm. give an example where uh, last week, uh, my wife and I went out to lunch and we went, we're sitting at the, the table. We had placed our order online and they, you know, they have you like put in your table number or whatever when you, when you sit down and, and they bring the food to you. So they come over and they're bringing us somebody else's food. So I'm guessing that maybe what happened here is that somebody had ordered and they just like put in a random number to say they were there. So their food be ready when they got there or whatever, or maybe somebody ordered at a different location and put in, they just happened to be sitting at the same table as us, whatever the case was. Right. I don't know what happened, but for some reason they had basically two orders for our table 
And so they bring the one over there and we're, you know, first of all, they're walking around and they're just calling this person's name over and over. And I can just feel myself getting irritated, right? I'm like, they're clearly not here. Stop. <laughs> like, just stop calling this person. They're clearly not here. This is like the fourth time you've walked by. <laughs> and so they, they then start bringing the food to us and like, oh, is this you? Is this you? We're like, no, it's not us, right? Like, this is what we have. And so this goes on. And the next thing I know, there's like three people around me. And they're all confused. They're all trying to figure out what this table is, where this person is, who the order is, what happened, why is our order not ready? And they're like, oh, what do you mean you ordered on the app? The app's supposed to be turned off. And like, I, I just had this moment where I felt like I was hurting cats. And I had stayed composed for the most part this whole time. And finally, I just went, look, <laughs> this isn't ours. <laughs> Get away from me. Oh, you know, it just like... And it's like afterwards, I was like, did I really need to react that way? But it's like, even in thinking about it, like even just being aware of what was going on and, you know, composing myself, there, there came a breaking point, right? Yeah. And, and it comes from this deep-rooted idea that I've worked on for, for a while now, but still there's that little tiny part. And it comes from years of management and everything else where when there is chaos, Sometimes I feel like I need to be the person to get everybody to go, all right, stop. Let's get our lives together. Let's <laughs> do this. And there, there's still that part of me, even though I don't manage people anymore, there's that part of me that still exists. There's that little tiny bit of that identity that's still in there that in those stressful moments comes out. Yeah, it's very common. It's so human. We're so human. Yeah. And it's, it's about being right? Being present in the moment is, is one of those things where we have to really get ourselves at, at like cue into. And, and in that moment, it's like, we can see people are working they're doing their best. They're only doing their job. Like yeah. nobody's at fault here. Like right. every, you know, all the things that could have gone wrong or happened and it's happening. And then now looking back on it and telling the story, you're probably like, oh my gosh, like you can laugh at it because yeah. everyone's just doing their own, their own thing, doing their job, doing the best that they can and trying to get this order. And, you know, at that point I would have been like, well, what did they order? I don't know. Is it good? Maybe I'll just eat that then, you know, like good to go. I don't know. Yeah. And we can just laugh. We just got to laugh. I think we're missing humor yeah. <laughs> in our life. We, we, we definitely are missing some humor in our lives sometimes. Yeah. But I also shared that story to tie back into something that you, that you talked about earlier, right? Cause you shared this you know idea that not only were you drinking the wine but you started to develop this entire identity around it right you're this wine connoisseur and this is this is what professional people do and you yeah. know you you even started like connecting like social stuff to it by having the club and oh yeah you know, other things so now this really became a huge part of your identity That's and right. you know just like i was sharing that like in hindsight, I can now see, like, there's no way I would have been able to, to know this a few years ago, but I can now see, like, this ties back to my management days and me feeling like I need to sometimes take control of the situation, right? So that's still part of my identity to an extent. And for you, this whole identity started kind of merging around alcohol. And, and I think a lot of people can relate to that, you know, whatever their specific vice may be, mm -hmm. they can probably start to relate to the identity they've started to forge around it. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And again, what we believe about ourselves, our identity shows up in our outward behavior. It's, mm -hmm. it's very clear. 
I mean, you can look at somebody and, you know, not to be judgy, because here we go back to judgment. But if we go to the grocery store and you watch people pack their stuff with their cart, and then you look at them and you clearly see that what's in their cart is obvious in their outward appearance and how they carry themselves. And I, and I, I'm not putting anybody down. I'm not, you know, I'm just calling out some facts here. You could see if their cart is filled with cookies and processed food and things that aren't healthy and they shop in the middle of the store versus the parameters of the store, nine out of 10 times they're, you know, they're typically overweight. They might not appear to be very confident about themselves and it's showing up because they're emotionally attached to some things that aren't good for them. So there's a lot of stuff going on. So therefore they're choosing some of these negative foods that are going to hurt them in the long run. And we can see this, you know, on the flip side of that, if we see somebody at the gym who's super buff and ripped and everything like that, not saying that they're perfect because they're not, trust me, they have their own issues too. However, you can see the discipline. You can see that, that they have decided that discipline equals freedom for them to be able to do like eat a pizza every so often and those sorts of things. But you can see it clearly that their decisions and their commitment to themselves is showing up in their behaviors, which is to stay connected to their bodies and how they want to present. Yeah. We can see that with the the top 5% of the most successful people. What are they doing differently? That's yeah. who I like to look at and study because, you know, I look at somebody like Steve Jobs, who's now passed, of course, you know, he wanted to eliminate decision fatigue, which is why he wore the same outfit over and over again, because his, his brain was so incredibly brilliant that he wanted to focus his energy on the things that was most important to him, which was how does he expand and create better products? And yeah. so when we look and we study people that are highly successful, we can see that their identity on who they believe they are is showing up in their outward, not just so much their appearance. That's an opposite side of appearance and what I just said with, with yeah. Steve Jobs. But we can see it in his performance, mm-hmm. which is still a behavior in how we show up. So I really like looking at different people and getting an idea of what makes them stand apart. And I'll tell you right now, it's an intentional living. That's the answer. I'll give, I'll give it away right now. It is intentional living. When you make daily intentions for your life on a daily basis, you will, your life will change because if we're so goal driven, we're not going to get there. It's the intentions that provide the daily fuel to actually get you to the bigger goals. And so when I work with somebody, especially when it's around habits, Let's not make this big, big lofty goal that is going to be so hard to to get to. Let's start with what are your intentions for today? Yeah. That's going to help us get to that that big lofty goal. And if we could take Mm bite-sized wins, that provides momentum. Momentum provides more momentum. And here we go. It's like a rocket ship. It takes more fuel to get up and off the ground and lift off than it does once it's out circling the earth, right? So we need to have that momentum and that's what intentions will do. We become very intentional with what we're doing, what we're saying, you know, wanting to do with our life. It becomes super hyper-focused around that. Yeah, I think for a lot of people too, it's, you know, when, when they think about their behaviors, right? A lot of times we maybe aren't aware that 
all of our behaviors are really either an expression of who we are, mm-hmm. or they're an attempt to solve a problem, right? Yeah. And, and I think especially when we talk about alcohol, that's one that for a lot of people, it solves the problem of stress, it mm-hmm. solves the problem of fitting in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so once we start to have that realization around it, it becomes easier to let those things go if they're no longer part of the identity that we want to have. Because like you said earlier, this isn't about like, you should stop drinking, right? It's about if you're at a point where you don't want that to be a part of your life anymore, this is how you go about doing it. Um, but I think we can apply it across the board, right? I mean, you mentioned you know people at the store, the things that they have in their basket. You know, this isn't about, you know, someone having six pack abs or not having six pack abs or having a little extra weight on them or whatever, because I'm a firm believer that there is no such thing as the right body type, right? Agreed. But what I do believe is that there is healthy and unhealthy. That's right. You can be 40 pounds overweight and be actually pretty healthy Mm -hmm. because you are consistently active. When you're, you know, if we were looking your your basket at the store, yeah, there might be some cookies or something in there on occasion, but you've also got some fresh fruits in there. You've got some vegetables in there, right? You, you're actually on the outside of the store buying fresh foods, not just loading up with a bunch of processed stuff. And, and that's what we look at when we're looking at how people are doing these things. We're looking at their total behaviors. Do the behaviors that you have line up with the person that you said you want to be? Yes, right there. If 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 they're not, then it's then it's a self examination. And a lot of times, what happens with people in the gray area is that they aren't living in congruence with who they say they are, and this causes stress. And this causes a huge gray area for people because, for example, let me here. I'm thinking of a, a specific client that I'm currently working with. He runs a very big business, very successful business. He does a lot of speaking. And when we started working together, alcohol was one of the things he wanted to work on. But he also said, you know, Carrie, it's people look to me as a leader in my industry. And when I'm on stage or I'm doing presentations, all I keep thinking is they're looking at me going, oh my gosh, look at how overweight he is. Look at how he doesn't, you know, throw his shoulders back and he doesn't have this confidence. He said, how I feel about myself is not how I think people perceive me, but I want to be in congruence with that. I want to be the the leader and the man that my organization thinks that I really am. Like I need to step into that role. I need to like climb into that version of myself that they believe I am because I don't believe it right now. And I want to be in congruence that I want to look and feel good about me. I want to get my alcohol under control so I can be clear-minded, lift the fog, and be sharp as a tack when I am speaking and when I am leading this business. And I want to really be the best man possible. I want to be a good father for my kids. I want all those things, not just say that I am or be on paper. I want to live it. I want to be it. And that... Oh, I can't tell you when I hear that type of languaging coming from someone, I know they're my people because that's the heart of somebody who gives a damn, who actually wants to change their life, who knows that they're capable of so much more and that they have the capacity to do it. They just need the roadmap to get there. Yeah. 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 I I love this example because it perfectly highlights something that I see a lot. 
which is we get in our own heads, we tell our own stories, and we assume them to be true, right? And then at some point, the light bulb goes off and goes, okay, maybe other people don't see me this way. Maybe this is just a story in my head, but I realize I'm not living in alignment with the person that, that other people see me as or as a, as a person that I think I'm you know, trying to be. And rather than focusing on the behaviors like what we were just talking about, they start trying to just fix the problem. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden it's, okay, if, my, if I feel like I'm overweight, I need to change something about that. Now we, oh, I'm going to go do this diet. I'm going to go do this thing. And the problem with that stuff is you're just applying something that may get you some short-term results, but you're not changing your core behaviors. You're not getting in alignment yet. And so you're just doing something that's a specific result-driven activity. And as soon as you stop doing it, as soon as it gets too hard to maintain, you'd lose the result because you never changed your core behaviors. That's right. Yeah, you just nailed it. If, and, and it takes time, right? So I love Robin Sharma because the way that he breaks down habits, um, and it's actually from University of London had did this study, which is it takes 66 days to automate a habit. We've all heard the term 21 days, but it actually takes 66 to automate the habit. And the way that Robin describes it, which I think is so brilliant, he says the first 21 days we start anything new or change something, it's hard it is hard. It's new. It's a new thing. And we need the rhythm and we have to know going into it. You know what? You got to have this deep why about it or it's not going to happen. And then he talks about the second 21 days or 22 days. He calls that period messy. This is where we start to, and I've been through this and I know with my clients, you know, especially if they're in the 30 day program, it's, it's like, you, you cross over the 21. Now you're, you're going into the 30, 45 days. And what happens is we start to tell ourselves like, oh, I've been doing great with that. Like I got that under control. You know, I can, I can in my case, you know, drinking, I can have a drink tonight. Like I'll be, I'll just go back tomorrow. I'll be totally cool with it. Yeah. And that's, and that's where it gets messy. We have to stay diligent to our why and committed yeah. to that. And then the last 20, 21, 22 days, he describes as, um, what does he describe that as? Now I've lost my train of thought on that. I forgot what he calls that. He has a specific term, but it's, it's almost like, oh, it becomes, because it now starts to become automated. It's almost like, ah, now you're starting to see the reward behind it. And if we stay consistent, it's the everyday consistency that gets us there. Just like the book Atomic Habits talks about that if once we miss one day, okay, okay, we can get back on the train the next day. We miss two days. Oh my God. It is like doubly hard. We miss three days. It's like starting all over again. And then you have this feeling of like, I failed. I must be the worst person in the world. I you know, suck at this. Like we're telling all ourselves this negative thoughts again. And then it creates more shame, more guilt. And guess what? You're back on the cycle again. You get to start it all over. Yeah. So the key is everyday, I mean, what I like to say is everyday effort equals expansion. If yeah. we do something every day and we have the effort, it will help get us to this expanded version of ourselves. We just need to be willing to put in the work and remember to tie your why. Why, why are you even wanting to do this? If that's not big enough, you're not going to go very far. You have to be 
really connected to that why it's your driver for your driving force it's the anchor it's the guiding north it is what gets you to where you need to be yeah yeah you know you, you mentioned you know steve jobs earlier and the one mm -hmm. place i would disagree with with steve's um idea about decision fatigue here is that i feel like we we need to embrace the decisions right because making change is not a single decision that mm. we make one time. Yeah, it is. It is a decision or thousands of decisions that we make over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah, everything is a choice. Yeah, it's 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 a daily commitment. Like it that's, is. you know, it's like, you know, you, you mentioned this idea from Atomic Habits about, you know, if you miss two days mm -hmm. and, you know, what, what I, you know, would tell my clients a lot of times is not so much about missing the two days, right? It's about your identity. Um, and the example that I, that I will give people a lot of times is I had rotator cuff uh, surgery a couple of years ago, and I was literally not allowed to exercise for six weeks because of the stitches, like couldn't get any sweat in them or anything. So I was not allowed to do anything other than like, not, not even brisk walking, just like very easy walking. And I couldn't even do that outside for like the first couple of weeks. So like literally I'm limited in what I can do. But what I did was every single day in my head, I told myself I'm working out. Like, like literally I just thought about it. Like I pictured myself in the gym, pictured myself doing things. When, when they had me doing like the little exercises where I'm swinging my arm or whatever, starting to try to get that range of motion back, I considered those workouts, right? Which was kind of hard for me because they obviously weren't, you know, near the difficulty level what I was used to. And at the end of that six weeks, when they took those stitches out, the very next day, I was at the gym with my sling on. <laughs> like a dumbbell in one arm doing leg exercises like because i had stayed locked in that entire six weeks by making a decision to think about exercise every single day so yeah, stopped you know what you did so many things right there that's worth noting which is you know visualizing and feeling it as if it's already occurred really does help orchestrate in our mind and the thoughts that the action can occur. And so that was brilliant on your part. Um, just to, even if you couldn't physically do it to mentally picture yourself there, therefore you were doing it. You know, Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about this, about stamping those thoughts into our, uh, into our nervous system, into our mind. And it becomes real if we repeat it over and over again, which is why we need to be so connected to that and really feel the feeling, feel as if it's already happened. We're creating a memory, you know, in our future of the past. And then it's amazing how this all comes to pass and it becomes easy then if we picture it. You know, I, I just, I just deadlifted the most weight I've ever deadlifted before on Monday. And I remember my trainer saying, you know, Carrie, this is going to be one of the hardest weights you've done. I know you can do it. I want you to, and my trainer's so good for me. She goes, I want you to, you know, drive with your booty and your legs and your heels. I want you to really own it. I want you to know you can do it because you can do this. Mm -hmm. and relax and get your game face on. And she gave me this pep talk beforehand. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, oh, hell yes, I'm doing this. And she's yeah. like, if you can give me three, I'll be so happy. I banged out 12 that first rep, that first set. I was so proud of myself because I envisioned me doing it. 
you know, yeah. even in those moments that she was saying that to me, she was gearing me up and she's like, I know you can do it. I know yeah. you can do this. I just need you to drive. I need you to tap into this inner part of yourself that you have not yet tapped into. And I yeah. believe you can do it. And I need you to believe it. And so we can do anything. We really can. And we can do hard things. Yeah. I, I love that example. Congratulations on your uh Thank your you. PR. Don't ask me the weight because I won't tell you. <laughs> it, 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 the, the weight doesn't even matter, honestly. That's right. It doesn't. But it was hard. It was hard for me, but I did it. Yeah. So, so something I heard as someone who used to uh, do personal training, personal training is how I actually started off. And I, I have this suspicion that your trainer probably knew you could do way more than three. Oh, and, and I love and I love the fact that she just said three because what it highlights is something I teach all the time. And I think we've kind of hit on it, but we haven't directly said it today is don't try to do the big thing, right? Start small. Yeah. Because by her telling you, look, if you can do three, I'll be like super ecstatic about that. Yeah. If you do 12, like you're like you finished like every rep after three, you're like stronger and stronger. You're feeling better and better, right? Yeah. And the second set was funny because I, I did five and then I was like, I could barely do the six. And she said, okay, just take a, take a mini break here, take a mini break, come back. And she goes, just give me five more. And so we got, I got to 10, you know, I did five more and I knocked out five more. Yeah. 10 in a row then. And I was like, she's like, look at you go giving me 15, you know? So yeah. it was, it was so exciting. And that's really, that's what a good trainer or coach does. We know what our clients need. And we can be that cheerleader. We can be the encourager. And we see the path forward that a lot of people can't see for themselves. We know what's ahead for them. And that's what my coach did for me years ago when I first worked with him. You know, when AA wasn't my gig, yeah. he was like, Carrie, I really think that you could be a coach someday yourself. And I believe that you're going to start your own business. And I believe that you're going to tell your story and share your story with the world. And which I busted out laughing, go, that's never going to happen. But what he did was he planted seeds for me for the possibilities that were there. And I never sought out to start my own business. It sort of unfolded as it needed to. And here I am today. And But if he didn't plant that seed for me, I don't know if I would have believed it for myself. Yeah. So we see things that are possible that others can't see for themselves. Guess why? Because we all have blind spots and we can't always see the forest through the trees. Sometimes we need the guide to walk us through the forest so we can find our way out to the valley. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that fact that you kind of just highlighted there really what a great coach does. They don't tell you what to do. They're not there to just give you the instruction manual. Yeah. What they do is they help you to remove those limiting beliefs. They help you to get around those negative thoughts that you have about yourself and start to see what's possible. So good. <laughs> so good, right? It's just so good. I love so, it. So, so one final thing I want to talk about before we wrap up here is you have on your website a, uh, a freebie um, where it's Mastering Self-Regulation, 10 Ways to Stay in Control in Stressful Times. Yes. Yes. And, and I love this idea because I think something that especially as men that we are not always aware of Mm -hmm. is how our stress has not just a negative impact on how we feel, right? Because it, it can affect everything from your sleep to your diet, to your ability to exercise, to your ability to focus. There's all kinds of problems that stress causes mm -hmm. physically. 
but also when you are stressed, your decision-making is poor. Mm -hmm. And I think this idea of being able to give people some tools to help figure out not how to get rid of stress, because we need some stress in our lives. Some stress mm -hmm. is good, but being able to regulate the stress, being able to figure out where is that sweet spot of just enough, but not too much. And, and so I just wanted to kind of highlight that and encourage people to go to your website, graytonic.com and download that freebie. And I'll have a link to it in the description as well. Um, mm -hmm. And then that way they can actually go ahead and get some of these tools because we didn't talk a lot about stress today, but it is a huge component of all of this. Oh yeah. We all have stress. We all do. I mean, you know, it's, it's part, it's part of living. We, you know, we, it will, the key is how we deal with it. Like, how do we respond to it? So this guide, you know, there's some, there's some obvious ones on there, like exercise and drinking plenty of water and, and eating really nutritious foods. But there's some things on there that might be a surprise that someone's never heard of or thought of. And it's simple, simple strategy, simple tactics and tips for you to use. There's also a breathing exercise on there that I did a YouTube video on. It's just, there's no video. It's just basically the audio, but it's a really good seven minute guide for you. It's me taking you through a, just a very beautiful, um, uplifting way for you to decompress. It works every time I've done this with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people's and workshops. And they just, when, you know, they open up their eyes, they're like, oh my gosh, I need to do this all the time. And I'm like, yeah, why don't you, you know, so breath work is, is a big piece of that, but the video is going to be really helpful for those that, you know, need just a couple minute break throughout the day. Just open up YouTube, listen to it, get yourself in a good place and you will be feeling like a million dollars. So I hope that really helps those that need it. Oh my goodness. I, I could do an entire episode about breath work. Um, yeah. <laughs> as, as someone who does a lot of speaking, as someone who does a lot of physical exercise, uh, it's, it's such a huge thing. I, I've ever since I incorporated breath work into my routine, it's, it just has made so many changes. I can't even like, we don't even have time to go into it right now, but it's like, guys, trust me. Like it, if you, if you think like, Oh, that's too woo woo and all that, wow. it's, Nothing to do with any of that. This wow. is you know, connecting to your body and, and learning to breathe. That's all. It yeah, is. It, it, it basically it is your nervous system. You're calming your central nervous system, and it it works. And we don't we we don't even realize our breath how powerful it is. How we can move from fight or flight into a calm, beautiful place within minutes just using our breath, just centering ourselves. One of my best clients, my one, my long-term client, he's been with me a year and a half. You know, when he first started working with me, I said, do not get out of your car in the garage. Like I want you to sit in your car and yeah. do some deep breathing before you walk into the house. Mm -hmm. And because he would come, he would walk in and he'd be a tirade to his family. And I said, you're not going to do that. You're going to leave the work behind. You're going to sit in your car and we're going to do this breath work. You know, you're going to do it. And when he started implementing that, he was like, this thing is really working. Now, guess what he does every morning? He does breath work and meditation. And he calls those his non-negotiables because if he doesn't do that and he doesn't set himself up for the day, He's going to allow everything to come at him and he's going to become reactionary. So yeah, there you go. Breath work is really important. Love it. Uh, well, Carrie, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? 
The best way you can find all my social channels on graytonic.com, but I'm highly active on LinkedIn. That is my jam. That's the social platform I prefer. I'm the only Carrie Schwer on all social media, so I'm really easy to find. Awesome. We'll love it. And we'll have links to all that in the, uh, the show notes for anybody who wants to uh, get those as well. Uh, but I want to thank our guest, Carrie, for coming on today, sharing your story, your, your knowledge. Uh, I hope people like listen to this episode with pen and paper in hand because there were so many little nuggets uh, they're going to be able to take from it. So I really appreciate its value, which, which you brought today. Uh, and I want to remind everyone that while none of us are born unshakable, we can all become unshakable. Thank you for listening to the Unshakable Habits podcast with Coach Stephen Box. Be sure to hit the subscribe button and help us spread the word by sharing the podcast with other men. If you're ready to create unshakable habits, you can learn more and connect with us at unshakablehabits.com.